So here's what happened last week um, at our house. Last weekend was a pretty busy weekend for us. My wife works at Manhattan Christian College, and um, it was their big alumni weekend. So she was in charge of a lot of things, but I'm an alum, so I was also a part of many of the things at the school. So we had a pretty busy weekend, but it got over um, right after lunch on Saturday last week, and we were on our way home. Um, we had something planned in the evening. We had some, um, something with some friends in the evening that we were getting together with, but on the way home, we had a few hours. We were going to sit back and watch a little golf. The Masters was on, and we we're going to take a nap. And if you know how that goes, you nap more than you watch golf when golf is on. That's, it, it overcomes that. But on our way home, Ruby, our 12-year-old, says, hey, can we stop and get some ice cream? I never argue with that. Um, usually that's a mom question because I'm always going to say yes. And oftentimes I plant the question with them um, so that they're the ones asking, right? So instead of stopping at like Dairy Queen, we made the decision that what we were going to do was stop at Dylan's on our way home to the grocery store because everyone wanted something different. Now, I know my girls. My girls like cookies and cream. That's their favorite ice cream. And we were talking about it on the way. April said we, we need to get some just plain vanilla. That's the wise choice because you can always put toppings on it, right? You can always do stuff to it and add to it when you're at home. And we had plenty of toppings. But I said, you know, I want something different, but I don't know what I want yet. I want to look at all my options and choose. Well, they didn't want to go in, so I was the one that went in, and I'm standing there at, at the um, freezer section at Dylan's, looking at all the ice cream, trying to make my choice of what I wanted. And I found the cookies and cream, I found the plain vanilla, and then I chose a pralines and cream, and it had some caramel mixed in it. Oh, it was great. It's not there anymore, actually. It's, it's gone. Um, don't judge me. I'm not here to judge you, okay? But it didn't last very long. Um, so I reach in, and I grab the pralines and cream, and I grab some cookies and cream, and I grab the plain vanilla ice cream. And I'm walking to the checkout. I don't have a cart. I don't have a basket. I just have three gallons of ice cream that I'm carrying. <laughs> and I was looking out. If I would have saw any of you, I would have dropped at least one, if not two of them, and kicked them down the aisle and just been like, I'm just getting some ice cream. That's all I'm after. I check out. We get home. We're dishing up the ice cream. And April says to me, why did you get homemade vanilla? I said, I didn't. I got plain vanilla, like you asked. She goes, no, you got homemade vanilla. I said, no, I didn't. I got plain vanilla until she showed me. It was homemade vanilla. And I'm like, it was plain vanilla when I checked out. I don't know what happened, but something changed between checking out. And guys, you've been there, haven't you? You showed up at home from the grocery store with something different than what was asked for. It happened, to, it happened as well to us. Jesus, he died on a Friday. They, they killed him. They hung him on a cross, and they, they confirmed his death. They stuck a spear in his side, and they confirmed that this guy was dead. Then they took him down off the cross, and they put him in a grave. And they had to do it on Friday before sunset. So before sunset, because Saturday was Sabbath, and on the Sabbath it starts on Friday at sunset. So they had to get him down. They couldn't touch a dead body. They couldn't do that work during Sabbath. Now, the, there were some ladies that were following this, and they were trying to find out where they were going to put Jesus because they ran out of time to anoint his body with the spices for burial. And so they watched where they put his body, and on Sunday they were ready to do this. They were going to bring back the spices, and they were going to um, get his body ready for that burial. They showed up early Sunday morning to find Jesus. And when they got to the tomb where he was, they were met by a couple angels. There were some angels there. 
And I love this. This is what the angel said to the ladies coming to put the spices on Jesus. Luke 24, verse 5. They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a great question, isn't it? Why do you seek the living among the dead? You don't go to a cemetery to find live people. That's not what we do. And they were going to his grave, his burial place. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And then they followed it up with these four words. The angel said it. I believe four of the most important words in all of scripture. The angel said to these ladies, he is not here. He's not here. Now, I hated those words when I was a kid, and I rode my bike down the street to my friend's house. I'd say, I'm, I'm going down to Lee's house. That was his name, and I'd ride down there, and I'd ring the doorbell. And there were times his mom would answer the door and say, Lee's not home. Like, oh, man, he's not here. I hated those words. However, there was another time, just a couple months ago, I showed up at the hospital to visit somebody from Crestview that was in the hospital, and I went up to the front desk to find out which room he was in, and they said, oh, he's not here. And I went, yes, he's not. Well, I was hoping it was a yes. You know, good, he made it home, not the other, for the other reason. And it was good. He made it home. I missed him. He's not in the hospital anymore. That was a great thing. He's not here. But these ladies had to do something with those four words. When the angel said that to them, they had to do something. He's not here. What do you do with those words? What do you do with that? He was dead. We saw him dead, hanging on a cross. They buried him right here. We know he was dead. And if you're not alive, you're dead. And if you're not dead, wait a minute. He must be alive then. I love this about Mary Magdalene. This was pretty cool. She's known to be the last person at the cross and the first person at the grave. What an honor. No one else... No one, none of the men that have followed Jesus can stake that claim. The last person at the cross and the first person at the empty tomb. No one else gets to state that. But Jesus was there. He just wasn't in the tomb anymore. He was standing outside the tomb. And if we go to the Gospel of John, John tells this story. Um, chapter 20, verse 15. John catches these ladies as they're leaving. They're leaving and going to tell the other disciples. And Jesus stops them and he asks them two questions. One, he says, why are you crying? And two, he asked, who are you looking for? Why are you crying? Now, that can be taken many different ways. I remember as a kid, when I was growing up and I got in trouble and I got caught and I knew I was caught, I would start crying before I got punished, right? That would happen as a little kid. And my dad would often say, come here, I'll give you something to cry about, <laughs> right? You don't cry yet. We'll, we'll take care of that. But then there's the other times when somebody's sad and you give them a hug and you say, it's okay. It's okay, and you comfort him. And then there's this time when Jesus looks at him and says, excited, why are you crying? There's no reason to cry. The truth is right here. I'm alive. I'm right here. Now, Mary didn't recognize him at first. It could have been her tears in her eyes. Maybe she didn't recognize him because of that. Maybe it was the time of day. She hadn't had her coffee yet. It could have been the clothes he was wearing. My assumption is she wasn't looking for him. She wasn't looking for somebody that was alive standing up. She was looking for a dead person. So note the second question that Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? 
It's important to see that. Who are you looking for? She wasn't looking for a who. She was looking for a what. And the what that she was looking for was a dead body. She was looking for something that was dead, not something that was alive, not someone that was alive. And we do this so often. And if we look towards someone to help us out, we'll find that someone to be Jesus. And he is greater than the grave. He has conquered the grave. She was looking for a dead person. So we go back to Luke when he wrote it this way. And the angels ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? So why do we do that? Why do we look for things in our lives to help us out among dead things? Things that we, we strive for and we look towards in this life to give us life, but they actually just bring us more emptiness and despair. There's no hope in that. We search for life among things that are dead instead of things that can bring us life. And we cry out, hoping for something more. And there's no hope in those things. And if you're looking for a what, you're going to fall short. But if you look for that who in Jesus, who is greater than the grave, he'll show you that he is greater than anything else that you face. So who are you looking for? Now, I like this twist on it, what Jesus does, and he taught about this. Back to the Gospel of um, John, this is Jesus speaking to them, and this is before he dies, he's teaching them this lesson. John chapter 12, starting in verse 23, Jesus says to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He taught this before he died and came back from the dead, and I believe that they were a little confused. They, they probably didn't understand this. What's he talking about? Has he lost it? Is he a little crazy? I don't get it. What's he talking about? Dead things and live things. It doesn't make sense. But after he died and came back from the grave, I believe that they looked back on this teaching and thought, I get it. Now I understand what Jesus was saying. There's something to this. There's a um, preaching professor that taught about this. He wrote about this. His name is Ian Watson. And he talked about this concept of two great revolutions that has happened in our world. Just two great revolutions that have changed the course of our history in our world. The first one was farming. Farming, it changed the course of our history in our world. Before farming, we were hunter-gatherers. So humans would, would camp out at a certain spot and they would live off that land until there was nothing else to live off of. Then they would move around and there was no place as home. They would just move around until someone, we don't know who the genius was, but someone decided to stick around long enough and bury something, something that was dead, something that they had eaten, but it was no use anymore, just some seeds and they buried it. And someone stuck around long enough to see that out of those seeds, life came. And they decided, they said, this is, this is revolutionary. This is something new. What do we do with this? They don't, didn't understand what was going on, but something in the soil said to that seed, hey seed, give me a little root. Something outside of that, the sun outside above the soil said, hey seed, give us a little shoot. And that seed, after it was dead and buried, came to life and gave us a tree or a plant 
or bush and fruit. This guy writes about it, Mr. Watson. He says, unless, sorry, he says, it's not a law. It's just what it is. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a solitary grain of wheat. But if it dies, it can bring a rich harvest. Now, we don't know who discovered all of this and how it really happened. But the second revolution, we do know him. We know his name. We know how he lived. We know how he loved. We know how he taught. We know how he died. And his name was Jesus. And he said, this is how life works. And when he said, I'm going to give up my life so that you can have life, and he died and he was buried, and through that came life. He conquered that. He was greater than the grave. And then he comes to us and say, now it's your turn. Now it's you. What are you going to do? Are you going to die to these things in the world so that you can have life? Are you going to try and discover life through the dead things? That's where we get our hope. I believe this is exactly where hope comes from. On that Sunday, when Jesus came back from the dead, he released hope. Not hope that we would have an easy life and everything would go perfect for us in this life, but a hope that through our selfishness and sin and fear, we could die to those things. Those things can die in our life. And through that, we find hope. The Apostle Paul, he writes, when he's writing to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 5, he writes about this, and he talks about not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And look at his last line. No other non-Christian writer would have added these last few words, and character produces hope. Only a believer in what Christ has done, that he is greater than the grave, would write words like this that would have hope in our lives because Christ conquered the grave. Uh, Before, it was just known that we live life based on reason and courage. That's how we get through it. Courage. Get through life that way. Nietzsche once wrote about Zeus. He said that Zeus used to um, give people hope just to torture them. That, that hope was given. In truth, hope is the most evil of all evils because it prolongs torment. That's the worst thing that could happen. The most, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive you insane. To give somebody hope when there's no hope at all, that's horrible. But when we can die to those things and we can find hope through the one that is greater than the grave, man, there's something special about that. Now, unless you um, have been living under a rock um, this last week, you probably noticed that or heard about um, the cathedral in Notre Dame, Um, the cathedral of Notre Dame that burnt down this last week, and some of the stories and the pictures that were behind that. And I believe one of the greatest pictures that I saw come out of that was this picture um, right here. Pretty cool picture of what um, the results and what happened after the fire. The ceiling had burnt. Um, not the whole place burned down, but the ceiling had burnt. Many of the um, things around it were burning, except when they got the fire out, this is what was standing. Just this cross. It's a pretty cool picture. I think it, it teaches a lot of amazing things, but here's what I think when I see this cross standing there and 
read um, some articles about it, and all, all the articles that I read about this, and all the news commentators that I heard about this, they were just amazed, amazed that the cross was still standing. Must be a miracle, right? And the staff, we talked about it a little bit, a few of us, we were chatting about this, and I'm thinking, we, we giggled and said, no, it, it's been refined. It's been refined by the fire before. Therefore, it can stand the test. Yeah, it's going to stand up to another fire, of course, because it's greater than that. Because he's proven to give us hope because he's greater than the grave. We have hope that he is greater than everything else because he's not on the cross anymore, because he's not in the grave anymore, because of the words, he is not here. We have hope. We get hope out of those words because of Easter morning. That's where we have hope. N.T. Wright He said it this way, you take away Easter Sunday and Karl Marx was probably right to um, accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material material world. Take that day away and Freud was probably right to say Christianity is wish fulfillment. Take it away and Nietzsche was probably right to say it was for wimps. The Apostle Paul said about the same thing. He was writing to the church in Corinth and he said, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. And Christians of all people should be pitied. That's a true statement. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, we've got a sorry religion. That's all we have. And it really doesn't add up to much. But what our world needs now, what our Bible Belt needs now, what Manhattan needs now, what what we need now, even in this church, we don't need more tradition or morality or religion or conservative politics or liberal progression, what we need is an answer to our pain, an answer to our sufferings, an answer to brokenness and death. And the only way we get that answer is in those words, he is not here. He's not here. He is greater than the grave. His last breath was not his last. No pulse, no heartbeat, no life, no problem. He's got it figured out. He is greater than the grave. I love this quote. Um, remember this one. John Owen, he said it this way, the death of death in the death of Christ. He conquered it. Through his death, he conquered the grave. Jesus physically, bodily resurrected from the dead, and that means everything to us. A theologian, his name was Gerald O'Collins, he wrote, Christianity without the resurrection is not simply Christianity without the final chapter. It's not Christianity at all. This concept that he is not here makes everything for us. It's the cornerstone of our faith. It's the reality of how we build off of everything that we believe. He is greater than the grave. He is not here. No one in the history of mankind has ever made that claim, I'm going to die and raise myself up from the dead and accomplished it. And because he did, man, I want to listen to what he says. I want to follow that guy then what does he teach me? That's what I want to do. And because he's not here, it means something else. He's somewhere. He's somewhere. Since he's not there, he's here. He still lives, and he lives in me. John Newton said it this way. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but I still am what I, I am, sorry, still I am not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because he's not there, he is here. And I've got to make that statement. 
I've got to make that statement known to others that I believe in that. Um, there's a story about it's an old pastor that received, um, he, he, he had a disease, and his, this disease was taking away all the muscles in his body. His muscles were just deteriorating. And the very last thing that went for him, just weeks before he died, he lost his voice. The, the muscles that help him speak, he could not speak anymore. And it was Easter morning when he lost his voice and for a pastor. That's the worst, right? But he wrote a letter to his daughter that said, it's the worst to wake up on Easter morning and not be able to proclaim that he has risen. But what's worse than that is to wake up with a voice and not proclaim that he has risen. I've learned a few things in life. Um, I've learned a few things that there are some choices that you make. There's choices that you make that you do that some, some of those choices can't be undone. You can't undo some things. You can't unbake cookies, right? You can't uncut hair. You can't unsend an email. You can't unrun a red light. There are things that we do, mistakes that we've made, and most of those I've made by a mistake, and some of it you just have to live through, and it's embarrassing, and you just have to get through that embarrassment and apologize. But I also know there's some other very important decisions that you make that you don't want to be reversed, that you want to be secure in, and I believe this decision, what you do with those words, he is not here, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. What do you do with those words? He is not there, then where is he? And if you haven't made the choice to put him here in you and in your life, then that's the best choice you can ever make. And you want to make that decision. Because he's not there, he is here. Now here's the deal, I want to challenge you in this. If you have made that decision, then continue to trust in that and believe in that and what he's done for you. If you haven't made that decision, then I want to challenge you today. Make it. I'd love to chat with you. We've got a baptism coming up here in a few minutes, which means I'm going to be in our baptistry, which means you're welcome to join. And if you haven't made that choice and made that decision, please consider that today. Let's stand together and prepare our hearts for time to remember Jesus.